Welcome to the Skies Were Under podcast, hosted by me, Rachel Wright. This podcast is created by and for parents of people with disabilities and the many practitioners who support us. It's just for all of us who are trying to get from one end of the week to the other whilst bridging the gap between the life we expected and the one we're actually living. I'm Rachel. I'm a nurse, the parent of a child with complex disabilities. I'm also the author of The Skies I'm Under and founder of Born at the Right Time. I'm delighted each week to be joined on The Skies Were Under podcast by Sarah Clayton, who's the CEO of Simple Stuff Works. She's also is the mum of four children and her eldest daughter suffered a brain tumour when she was six, which means as a consequence of the complicated treatment and different complications that she had as a result of her tumour. Um, she is now a wonderful young woman who also has learning disabilities and some complex medical needs. Um, we are also joined by Lucy Parr, who's part of the way through her PhD in educational psychology. Her third of four children has a chromosome duplication, which means he isn't verbal, he has autism, high sensory needs and very complex epilepsy. Now I know we're in the fifth day of Ramadan and whether you think that's appropriately or not, we are today talking about one of my favourite subjects, food. I love food. I was talking about this to my husband the other day and I said, you know, I really do like healthy food. Like I love salad and I love, you know, vegetables and I love fruit. But I also love unhealthy food. And he looked at me and went, so basically saying, you just love food. And it's true. I do. I love all of it. Um, And I connect with my relationships and um, my days, my weeks, celebrations are all about food. And when we talk about food this episode, we share some of our stories around breastfeeding and NG feeds, gastrostomies, a little bit of blended diet. And because of that, I must give you a trigger warning that we do talk about um, traumatic births for our young children and we talk about childhood cancer as well. But given all that, I will let you start this episode all about food. And we are, ooh, episode nine of the Skies Are Under podcast. And today we're talking about food. My name is Rachel Wright and I am here with Sarah Clayton and Lucy Parr. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello, hello. hello. Uh, and Lucy's just about to say, so glad to be here. I was, ge- was going to say, lovely to be here. And then I was like, hold on a million times to do that. So I Rachel restrained myself. Rachel doesn't care how you feel about being here. She just wants to know about the topic in hand. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, ladies. So, yeah, episode nine. Um, how are you both today? What's the weather in your neck of the woods? <laughs> Wow. Well, it's actually really sunny and nice, and I love it. It's all springy where I am. Is everyone getting a little bit weather. of a big yeah. deep breath? Yeah, yeah, Thanks. totally. We got we got sunshine here, and it's quite calm on the uh, metaphorical weather as well. Ooh. Because I oh, know everything EHCP wise has gone to them. So the ball is officially in their court, which means for at least what three days or something. I can just stop for a minute, take a breath before I start hassling them for getting the ball back. But at the moment, they have it. 
so they can be sorting their bit out. So Brecon moved down to Cornwall kind of five days ago, which has been a bit of a journey to get there. And, you know, he's he was placed in a residential before and we pulled him out because it was unsafe. And before we got to pull him out, he broke his hip. So there's all this kind of absolute chaotic backstory before we then had him here for kind of four months intensively. And then we handed him back over to another residential provision. So I just feel like a bit like, I've been hit by a bus, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's been so intense for the last four months of being with him, being in hospital with him. Yeah. Micromanaging everything to keep him safe. Um, training up the new people. A thousand balls, a thousand balls. And then suddenly space. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. no balls. Yeah. When you, no balls. Yeah. Well, no exciting <clears throat> balls anyway. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Not on the balls. <laughs> yeah. I wish there were some balls, that'd be nice, but no, um, off topic. So yeah, it's just, I just feel exhausted. Like I've been hit yeah. by a bus. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I can't so, even imagine, because we went we went to visit um, a residential college last week and we had a really good look around and everything was good and she was really excited and she's like, I could be here, I could like it here. I'm thinking, and then um, I was doing really well and then the independence lady so we had like like they've got the most monumental program for supporting young people to become more independent which is exactly what she needs and I know that and she said um, and one of the other families said uh, uh, are we right to visit you know what are the rules on visiting and she said oh it's not a prison you know you can visit whenever you like you know it's absolutely fine she said all we ask is that for that first half term you don't and I just was like that's eight weeks yeah, that's of, a long time. Ooh, you know yeah. and she, and I get it because because it's the same as kind of mm. I do get it you know that thing of of she said just just let us get on with it because every single young person's homesick every single young person will ring home and say I just want to come home mm-hmm. and she was like if you come and get them even if it's just for a couple of days and then try to bring them back yeah. she said just let us get on with it and it so that's all that I could I've no idea what else she said because everything else in my head was just like they all get homesick they all get homesick they all want to come home they all want to come home well if you get but don't you think that you get involved you get so involved in the in the I don't want to say fight but you get so involved in the process because it is Mm. it's a process of getting them to Mm. the support that they need and you know that it's the right thing to do and you've got your head down and it's like Mm -hmm. right got to do this got to do this got to do this got to reply to that got to do so and so and then the reality when someone says yeah and you know like kind of it was just one of those moments but so we've talked in the last two episodes about guilt and about you know all the reasons why we might feel guilty and all the reasons why that's okay Mm -hmm. um but i think there's also a something we can acknowledge which is our feelings and our head don't even don't have to match yeah (laughs) yeah yeah like you can you can be like i know this is the right thing like every single month um uh we do my son's timesheets for the different carers that he has Mm -hmm. every single month i am equally grateful like these people make his life better they make Mm -hmm. all our lives better they um give him a variety they mean i'm a better parent because i'm not as tired as I could be yeah, surprising, yeah. you know. Um, 
but that doesn't mean my head and you know that's my head saying this is a good thing but that the emotional default like the trigger the the wound the whatever yeah. it is is still oh why do i need everybody to help me why yeah, can't exactly. i do it on my own yeah why am i so rubbish that comes back again doesn't it too bloody hell i wish that they didn't need this level of support mm. i just wish that she was i do i just wish i mean she should be like the you know that phantom the phantom b the hologram b is mm. finishing uni now you know yeah. um, but on the on the upside yeah i've got my house back i can walk around my tits out yes, Yay! yes. Hooray. winning we've got the image round of this week's episode <laughs> at least i can get my tits out exactly so there are and silver linings here we go cloud here we go talking of tits <laughs> let's Ooh, talk about feeding seamless. and start at breastfeeding this week we are talking about um feeding and food and uh, I feel like I could just do a whole episode on carbohydrates. <laughs> let's let's talk about your favourite carbohydrates, how you use them to fuel through your sleep-deprived days. The feeding journey for our children tend to happen when they're born. <laughs> so you have breastfeeding, which is probably the most common, and we can talk about the stats. Then there is bottle feeding. Um, but those babies who are born either prematurely or particularly sick and need assistance in feeding can be fed um, uh, into straight into the veins, intravenous nutrition, that's for really little ones, parenteral feeding. And then there's enteral feeding. So that can be via the nose, and that's a nasogastric, or through the mouth, which is orogastric. About 81% of uh, babies that are born are breastfed um, at birth. Um, but then that drops um, quite a bit. Um, Once as... you realise what that involves. <laughs> Once you realise you yes. never have your boobs ever again. Yeah. Or that, that the second that they latch on, that the pain will go through right the way to the tips of your toes. <laughs> and that you're just like, what? This, this, yeah. The woman I the think advert didn't look like this. <laughs> I think uh, one of the reasons why so many people stop breastfeeding before you know six weeks so at six weeks it's 24 percent. so you've mm. got a massive drop and i think that's because people say it's not gonna hurt absolutely the yeah, first the first couple of weeks and like you say pain in your just, teeth yeah yeah. yeah pain in your teeth oh. like, it's not just pain in your teeth is it and we like it's pain in your stomach it's like because everything yeah. goes like tightens like that yeah and it's the whole thing of of leaving the house and then looking down and realizing that everything is leaking everywhere everywhere and <laughs> but there is in the middle of the night just not having to do bottles and all that sort of stuff yeah so that, so that and actually trumps all of it certainly for me once we'd got past those first three or four weeks it absolutely yeah, brilliant. worked yeah. a treat. Yeah. It was lovely. Um, but that isn't exactly how it worked for us um, when my son was born. Um, because when he was born, uh, I turned into Daisy the cow. Right. 
So he mm-hmm. was very poorly. He was on a ventilator. He was fed nasogastrically, so the tube went through his nose. But he was a, a full-term baby, so he was born at 40 weeks. So he didn't need – he basically could take on quite a lot. So yeah. I pumped, used an electric pump. Nice. Um, and was only discovered about five days in of, of pumping that there was a um, – a gauge that you could turn it down so oh. i was full blast from the beginning heart. and it was cracked blistered mm. but i'd got oh. it in my head that this was one thing i could do for my baby and i would do what like the, there was nothing else i could do was useful yeah. like wow. zilch it felt like yeah and so i was like i am making this milk <laughs> <laughs> even if it you know, kills makes me. my tits drop off. Uh, so <laughs> it kills me. Um, I remember the first time they brought in a photo of my baby um, to sort of help the lactation. And I thought, oh, that's nice. And this is horrific. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea of uh, this will help the milk kind yeah. of because you get to see your baby and the only thing I could think of was the Alanis Morissette song, Ironic. Because mm-hmm. right at the very beginning, we were told there was a good chance my son wouldn't survive. And I just thought, isn't it ironic that I'm sitting here in a bed, pumping milk, milk out of my breasts, and potentially he's not ever going to need it. Mm-hmm. And I went home without my baby, and continued to pump and there but by the time he was discharged at day 12 which was super early for a mm. baby as poorly as he was when he was born um he was entirely breastfed having breastfed two other babies i realized he was particularly rubbish at it but i'd never breastfed somebody before so i didn't know it was supposed to feel like nothing like what you experienced end of sentence <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it um, when Brecken couldn't suckle and he was just floppy and he always made this weird noise you know when they're not supposed to make a noise and they're supposed to like just clamp on and they're supposed to be complete silence yeah. apart from the swallow um, he always made this weird clicky sucky noise which I knew wasn't right and then he would have immense trouble getting wind up which again, mm. our hindsight thing is, oh, we now know he had hypotonia and was very low tone and didn't floppy. So obviously yeah. his muscles weren't in, like good enough to be able to latch on properly and his muscles internally weren't good enough to get kind of wind out and, and poo out. So we would like physically be kind of pumping his legs to get him to fart and to get him to poo, um, which was just, I just problem solved it, I guess. I just went, oh, well, this is this is what we need to do because he's not managing. And so no one ever stepped in and went, mm, probably because he didn't lose weight and because I was just managing it because you're doing yeah, the yeah, things you needed it. to do. Yeah. Yeah. I did yeah. the things I needed to do. He wasn't losing weight. Um, I mean, it was horrific looking back compared to the others, mm. but, but you just did it. Actually, the midwives all the way through on all my pregnancies um, were surprised every time I said that I was going to breastfeed because I was young. 
that assumption thing again that bias thing again yeah. of mm. oh I, oh okay that's not what we expected uh, I was like well yeah even with I... your hippie skirts and you're yeah, like with my socks up to my knees I breastfed them until they were one and I had no shame at all and so I'd, I'd be that parent that just whapped a boob out in public I didn't have one of these blankets forget that um kids uh, you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only indignity I found in breastfeeding was when the midwife initially Oh, grabs um, without any consent, you know, just walk, marches over, grabs your tit, shoves it in the baby's mouth. I'm sorry. At what, at, in what universe is that okay? <laughs> Ask me first, lady. We need to acknowledge that there are plenty of people who, for various reasons, don't, um, are unable to breastfeed or, yeah, for all sorts of reasons, some very medical clinical reasons and some very personal reasons there is overwhelming evidence that breast milk unsurprisingly is the best milk for babies because mm -hmm. it's made for them by the nature of they come out of the tits of the person who's given birth to them however at the point at which that is insufficient at the point of which that's detrimental to mother or child we are very lucky in this country to have in the UK to have a lot of options for good, safe ways of feeding your babies. And I've been in plenty of other countries who rely on wet nurses or who rely mm. on um, whose, whose babies die of malnutrition because mm. they don't, they aren't able to breastfeed. I certainly know of friends who felt embarrassed, like, like judged somehow for feeding with a bottle. With all of mine, I did my best on the, I wasn't very good at it. You know, when you get people who just are able to produce loads and loads and loads of milk, I was just never very good at it. It is tricky, isn't it? Yeah, it is tricky. I've been thinking about my son's uh, relationship with food, as in, so he was, um, had an NG right at the very beginning and then he went to breastfeeding and it was when he was nine months old that he started having seizures and um, it, coincided with those seizures probably because of the seizures that his ability to swallow and stuff even though we'd started that weaning process I'd got out the Anna Carmel book <laughs> I had my saucepans at the all over the kitchen surface I actually made both my first and second son turn orange <laughs> I did that I did that with number four I've got photos of her little orange person beautiful yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah tim walked in one day and was like um is is he jaundiced <laughs> like he looks and like examined him was like he's not he's definitely got it's like he'd been tangoed <laughs> i made both my first two sons orange by feeding them too much carrot yes and sweet potato yeah. and butternut squash and all the orange things <laughs> and so i used to have to balance out the green and the orange food the orange food is sweet yes yes yeah. that's true which is mm. yep. <laughs> so uh after i turned him orange with um weaning the soft soft stuff as soon as we started trying to put in sort of some, some more lumps and the seizure started 
it all went to pot and he's i used to spend a little bit like you loose we spent like hour more just trying to get the small amount, smallest amount of food into him he'd done all the reflux stuff he had vomited everywhere the whole way through and and all that um and again we had just accepted that that's how it was and um used to stock take him off to stop him feeding because otherwise he'd and then make him burp before giving him a little bit more and all that sort of stuff so he had um stopped feeding well i started even doing the greatest nightmare that i could think of at the time which was take him to the health visitor weighing clinic <laughs> yep i hated the health visitor weighing clinic that's interesting because like usually oh. you love it the first time around you can't wait to go go yeah. every two weeks and then as you have more children your your visits become less and less frequent until <laughs> the last child never been to the way no. baby world, yeah. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. they don't like even know she exists in. the last child <laughs> and you realize it's in a different building and they and they closed it 15 months ago and you're like what <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah. so the reason i hated that was just everyone sitting around with their babies going oh i can't believe he's just started doing this mm. it's so exciting he's like sees me when I walk in the room and smiles and I'm like oh so that was what I could I, I, the the whole the difference that's that's what I struggled with I struggled with being in an environment with loads of mothers all um rightly happy about their children the issue was yeah. me not them um but I really struggled with it so when I was worried about his feeding I used to go the tactic was i went five minutes before the end so yeah. just as everyone's leaving i zip in get and it wasn't even the parents the, the comments from the some of the comments from the health visitors were less than helpful either so mm. I would go in way walk out again so then i could prove that although he looked really chunky again low tone very using very little energy so didn't ever look like he was really losing you know didn't look malnourished in any way i was like it's taken me an hour and a half to feed him he's yep. not putting on any weight yeah something is is going wrong and it wasn't until um he was admitted uh one time was really poorly it was just poorly with a normal virus but he looked really poorly it wasn't until we were admitted and they were like seeing what he was or wasn't eating at taking and they're like Ooh, that's not enough. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, no kidding. And that's when we got the NG put in. But we kind of knew in our head, if a child, if well, if if our son particularly needed an NG tube mm -hmm. at like ten months old, he wasn't miraculously going to suddenly wreck it, you know, learn how to swallow properly and manage other food. He was always going to need some additional support, even if he did eat orally he was always going to need that um and so that felt very um that felt significant um mm. and then when he was uh 14 months old he had a barium swallow and sitting in the corridor great ormond street with the uh, trolleys going past us in the x-ray department uh speech and language speech and language therapist sat next to me and said our recommendation is you never feed your son again. I mean, that's hard. That's really hard. Uh, no flowers. 
no, no pictures on the wall, no, no flowers on the wall, no, no flipping tissues. No double sofa. <laughs> no double sofa. No, I mean, they no. didn't read the rule book. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. You know? The textbook not been read. Yeah. <laughs> I was so <laughs> unhappy. Um, and it was... It was walking home from that appointment. Again, I never take my husband to appointments where he get really rubbish news. Um, and so I deliberately take him when I think there might be rubbish news in, <laughs> in a kind of trying to trick the universe into, into not giving me bad news. <laughs> Look, I've got my husband. See? See? You can't say anything rubbish because he's here. You wait until he's not here. Um, and I remember... Uh, sort of telling him and just realising that I was planting that bombshell into his life and walking home and I went and bought a dummy for my son so that he was able to kind of suck on stuff like that hadn't been something that we'd ever sort of done and then went into the kitchen and just got all the baby spoons and bowls and all the little containers and everything and just like I was some smoker giving up and getting everything out of my house. We're in cold the, turkey. Yeah. Um, except obviously I had to leave one or two spoons and bowls for all those babies who came to visit who could eat and drink. Um, and that was really tricky. I love food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love food. Like my... My days, my weeks, my years, my relationships with people are kind of defined by certain foods. Like my grandma used to come and give us a curly whirly every Thursday. Yeah, curly whirly Thursday. Curly whirly Thursday. It means, it means love, doesn't it, though, it if you does. give somebody food? Yeah. And it so does. it's like, don't feed your son again. It's like, well, like that's that expression. It's not to do, it's not a mechanical thing, is it? No, it's and it feels very maternal, like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I'm and... nurture and nourish yeah. and, you know, I guess, you know, you've gone from breastfeeding, like I kept him alive yeah. with my tits yes. for six months and then yeah. I was going to keep him alive <laughs> and they <laughs> fell off and I had to go on <laughs> and it's just, yeah, it was really hard disentangling that part of my role yeah but no it's just another difference isn't it it's another Mm. it's a it's a huge difference because what do you do at dinner time at home what do you do at breakfast like when you sit together for a meal Mm -hmm. so how do you you know do you are you still there are you so well of course you are because it's a social thing but then it it feels like you're neglecting giving that person because you know it's it's crazy isn't it to Mm. sit and what it's like you're withdrawn yeah exactly and and we put and i suppose you put your what it would be like for you to sit and watch other people mm. have a meal but not be able to participate and yeah it isn't it's not like that though is it but trying to disentangle that must be really difficult yeah really hard it was really tricky it was tricky that um I, and it was really tricky um and then it was actually quite smooth. It was then really um, simple about putting together the normal step 
that what normality then looked like right like it became it felt very emotional it felt very sad it felt very like there's something was lost but when it boiled down to so what do we do now um it wasn't that problematic really because mm. there was there was yes you know those decisions yes we want him part of the meal time um we want him to be um entertained at the time we, how do we provide food at that moment how do we make it sociable like so we started just having to take make those decisions slowly i think it's interesting as well because your your own relationship with food and your what it what it means to you and the symbolism i guess mm. of food in your own life then you obviously project that intentionally mm-hmm. or not intentionally onto how you want food to be in your family, what role you mm. want food to play, mm. meal times, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's tricky then if that gets completely changed around mm. and you're like, oh, actually, we can't do that same thing anymore. My first two kids, you know, Daisy was the kid eating pumpkin seeds at snack at toddler group. That was me. I was that parent. <laughs> I could have, I could have put money on that. I could have put money not, on that. And not because I was snobby and middle class, but because the roots of that were because I did not want them to have the same experience. I was so hyper-focused on they need to be healthy, they need to get healthy input, all of that stuff. So it was from a really good place. Um, but yeah, pumpkin seeds, you know, little cubes of cheese. I was that parent. And and then Brecken turned his nose up at like almost everything vomited at the sight of things and then ate jars until he was about five (laughs) so I had to like really shift my that was really difficult because it just pained me that I was and now the only dinner food he's currently eating is chicken nuggets and waffles but for me that's painful it's so painful that he won't eat any other food but it's every that's what you that's what you're talking about though isn't it it's not chicken nuggets and waffles sometimes it's yeah. that's what his dinner that's, food that's the is only the dinner moment. food he will eat. yeah and we will give him we will give him other options all the time and he will turn his nose up and I think another stress for me about dinners and dinner times is that Brecken we couldn't just put Brecken at the table and include him as part of the dinner mm. because he would just leave <laughs> he's so he's ADHD in the extreme and he's up and down up and down up and down so we never got those family meal times where we were all sat together because one of us would be off around around the house following Brecken and so part of his issues with eating is he can't sit still long enough to do it and part of his issues is sensory processing and then so we'd get times we still have peaks and troughs where Brecken will restrict himself right down to just eating like the the bare minimum like tomatoes chicken nuggets and you know oranges is probably the things that you can always guarantee he's going to eat but sometimes he just dwindles right down to nothing and we have to peg feed and so the stress of the mealtime when we peg feed is that we I was in my head so much about if we just feed him then are we going to mess up his hunger and his mm. understanding of his body being hungry if we just jump in with a peg feed? You, if this was a typical child, you would not put a peg in them and feed them through a peg as a mm. first port of call. You would fi- try and find out what's going on. So we had all that as well. But the stress of a mealtime now is putting food in front of him, waiting for him to refuse or eat it, and then going, okay, he hasn't eaten it, so now we're gonna have to peg feed. <laughs> and and there's so much in that for me emotionally because mm-hmm. the the waste of the food, 
like yeah. we're presenting him with food that then gets chucked in the bin <gasps> oh that's yeah. so stressful for me growing up in a house that didn't have food um all the time and then the the stress of like just trying to be chill and trying yeah. to keep a relaxed atmosphere and hope mm-hmm. that he it and then if he doesn't we have to get the fucking pump out strap into the pump plug him in and off he goes and then when we do put the pump pump on him we had to we had to um come up with a solution for Brecken that he has a little backpack with a pump because he doesn't sit still long enough for a bolus yeah. we tried bolus feeding our child that was hilarious imagine <laughs> running around <laughs> with a gravity bolus with a ch- connected to a child that doesn't sit still we did that and then I was like there has to be another solution but the dietitians were quite happy for us to do that until we said this is absolutely insane we are running around with a syringe of, <laughs> of, of stuff and and try it was just insane but then the stress then when he's plugged into the pump is that he turns himself upside down and if you ever if you ever turned yourself upside down with one of those pumps it gets air in and then it obnoxiously beeps at you that there is air in it (laughs) until you sort it out so yeah there's a whole host of issues coming with a, a kind of mobile peg feeding child situation that is and it's not even just yes we peg feed or no we don't it's Okay, we're this reactively mix. deciding every meal time. So we have we've got different stories, haven't we? So um, my son had a very like medical like he he does not have the uh, the swallow reflex properly, um, which meant it was completely unsafe. And so from a, you know before being one years old, he was automatically um artificially fed initially through the injury in his nose and then the peg in his stomach the the hole in the stomach that has the tube um and we most more recently went under blended diet which i've mentioned which we'll talk about in a minute a bit more and then loose what you're saying with brecken is it's much more a sensory thing that makes it so we're all the time because it's mechanical and there isn't yeah. a deviation mm-hmm. you're saying it's a sensory thing so it's this day-to-day meal-to-meal deci- yeah. uh, juggle of nutrition versus um experience versus sensory mm-hmm. and sarah yeah. your experience is it's kind of totally different again a totally really. different again yeah. yeah yeah so um so b started um all the way through like a, a sort of background noise all the way through her treatment so her treatment was um a year so she was diagnosed on the 5th of september or she was admitted to hospital on the 5th of september and then kind of the whole treatment process went on through to the following september october and food was sort of a thing in the background the whole way through but it wasn't until we started thinking about it for uh you know kind of thinking about it for today that you that i realized that you know um so chemotherapy and food don't you know Mm. they're not a great mix um so she started on the chemotherapy in the December no she didn't she started when she started her radiotherapy so she just started in the October so she had her surgery two weeks after her surgery she started five weeks of twice daily radiotherapy um and with chemo being given at the same time um and and that was it that was the whole relationship with food completely stuffed for her from that point because um the chemotherapy changed 
uh, the way certain foods tasted. So she just lost all trust in food. So the things that she thought she liked, she would she would have, mm. and then they tasted different, and so she wouldn't eat them. So you've got that loss of appetite, you've got that loss of trust, you've got um, just feeling like shit on a stick. Do you know what I mean? Like she just mm. felt horrendous. Um, and her weight just dropped and dropped and dropped. And um, so for us, she, I mean, she was, um, she was 121 centimeters tall for a very long time. So she was at 1.16 and a half kilos. And I've, and I was, yeah, I was um, looking back now, I'm glad that I, I, I just did not want anybody to take photographs of her when she was really poorly. I just, so I've barely any photographs of her. So some other people do, some other members of the family do have some, I don't have any, and I've got one of her at that point. And she was just skeletal. And I, meal times became just a battleground. Like you were saying, Rachel, about an hour and a half to mm. feed him. And we would, we would just almost like either side of the table, you need to eat it, I'm not eating it. We, you have to eat it, you have to eat something. I'm not eating it. And it, it was so hard because um, you've got that pressure that you, you know, like you just said there, Lucy, fed is best. And if you're going through what she's going, like what all of our kids go through, you know, but that level of healing that's required, to, you, you know, kind of you have to have good nutrition if you're going through cancer treatment. Yeah. Um, and I remember when they said about an NG, just the relief of that 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 we could that there was an option. And I my only regret is that I hadn't pushed for it earlier. But I think there was a certain amount of, because kids with NG tubes are really poorly, aren't they? <laughs> so like, here we are, you know, she's lost all of her hair. And now we've got, like, we are like a walking, you know, kind of advert for- Children you know, in need. Children in need. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, Just put a potty patch on yeah. my child and you'll start <laughs> yeah. throwing five pound notes at me. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, it's a physical marker, isn't it? It's again a physical <sighs> marker, and I, I, yes, I don't, I, I relate to that in that Stu really hates anything that makes Brecken look different, yeah, because it highlights again, oh, he's just, it's just another step away from normality, yeah, you know, like yeah. oh, he has to wear a helmet all the time in Brecken's case, and yeah. you know, an NG, so we never had an NG, we went straight to the peg, yeah, because it was a, um. It was a meds thing initially. We couldn't get meds in him. And I, right. I totally relate to that sense of relief. He was having hundreds of seizures a day and we couldn't, we weren't even in the running to get them under control because we couldn't get him to eat anything. Yeah. Um, or especially not to take his meds. And, and so when they put that in and we were like, oh, okay, now we've got a chance. I mean, turns out it didn't help, but <laughs> with seizures <laughs> particularly, but you know. Um, but it's that, but it's that, it, I think it's about the possibility. Yeah. That there's, a, there's, that there's a possibility that it, that, this might be a solution. And I just wish that I had, um, I wish that I'd pushed for it earlier because, because it then took away so much of the, because on top of all of the other emotional nightmare that, that we were going through, there was also this pressure that you've got a feeder that you've mm. like, that you've got to get yeah. something and not just chicken nuggets into her. You know, you, you have yeah. got to get something because she, her body's being put through. Yeah, just through so the mail. Absolutely. So it's it can't just be uh, that she's full. It's 
there's got to be something in there. We had um, oh, we had we had every supplement known to man. We had the little <laughs> um, you know, we had the drinks. We had the the um, the powder, uh, yeah, Maxijul, Maxijul okay. powder. Mm-hmm. It's a miracle powder. So you put that in a J2O. I could get a J2O up to about 500 calories. You know, with with Maxijul. <laughs> Honestly, you can load up. What you need is one of those little, um, you know, the cappuccino milk washer thingies. Yeah, yeah, the whiskey yeah. things, electric whiskey things. Now, an electric whiskey thing will get Maxijul into pretty much anything. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, J2O. So J2O. We doing, oh, 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 we were doing all that and NG. And I just wish that we'd done it earlier so that we weren't trying to build her weight back up again. I wish that it had been considered rather than let her drop so low and then try to bring her back up. I just wish that it had been. I think I think that's a really key thing about the emotions and the reality. And I think the emotions sometimes um, stop us doing things. Yes. Sometimes actually it's the uh, like you just said, Luce, it's the. response of others that the kind of perception that other people might have of our child or our families or our lives so the ng tube i remember the day i left the hospital and on the way home it's like getting a it's like a firework display a child with an ng everyone's like oh Um, and this very drunk woman drinking an extra strong cider passed us um on that very first day and i was on the way to my friend's house and she passed us and went ah like really obviously and i just got to my friend's house and she opened the door and i just burst into tears like so it's it's this it's it's our own emotions it's like what's people going to think it's people's reactions it's um and then it's like what and then you know so many people i know don't really want the ng don't really want yep. the peg two three four months later oh, i wish thank i'd god. done this so yeah. much sooner thank god for that because yep. it's very medicalized isn't it it feels yep. very artificial it's very medicalized um but it it works so well I think there was from a from a feeding point of view, there was the wonderful Great Ormond Street uh, da- sort of don't feed your child while sitting in a corridor, um, which felt brutal. There was the first time we went to a restaurant, and they mm. were like, "Does he?" And it's like, "Um, no, no, he doesn't." Or the ice cream at the beach, or the birthday cake or the mm. grandparents giving chocolate buttons yeah like those little yeah. tiny things that that seem so inconsequential in the enormity of all the other complications that he has that actually can absolutely be sucker punches that put you on the canvas and just yeah. feel yeah. super super hard yeah, yeah. um and I think I think I would have found it really helpful for someone to say to me, yeah, have like like we started off, Lucy, where you were saying up just all the feelings. Yep, yeah, all the feelings are fine. And um mm. I promise it'll change. Promise it'll change. But yeah. just mm. just sit where you are with all the feelings because um it's tricky. It's really, really tricky. And sometimes the littlest things are the hard like the littlest things are the most painful, like paper cuts. Exactly like mm. that. Paper cuts. 
they're mm. tiny and they're not but they're so irritating and painful and it, I think that's a good analogy for, for those little sucker punch moments that mm. maybe you sh- feel like you shouldn't be feeling about but actually are really hard yeah so uh for us there was this the ng then he was breastfed um and then we went back to ng again when he was just under a year old and we had the joy of the ph strip all of us have had the ng tube and the ph strip i have not i don't know what that is explain oh i've never had that ah so ng tubes unlike the peg of course you didn't do ng so unlike the peg the peg goes straight into the stomach so you know where it is no no concern that you can just push whatever into it because you know where it is whereas with an ng tube it's inserted through the nose down the throat into the stomach and it can obviously instead of going into the stomach go into your lungs so every single time you are about to put something into that ng tube you have to check it's in the right place that there is suck up a bit suck up a bit gastric stomach stomach there you go okay push it onto your ph strip and then yeah. once it's said proven that it is then you can give it there is also the joy of your child um my son plays with his hands up by his face so he inevitably puts his finger underneath the tube and pulls it yeah. completely out um and then you have the horror that is reinserting it or, well some yeah. people get nurses reinsert it we reinsert it. some people get trained we reinserted it ourselves um and that was brutal yes yeah so with b situation the amount of vomit you've not seen vomit until you've seen chemo vomit mm. you know for days after um she would have a 48 hours infusion a week of just like oh, kind of man. keep her alive keep her you know hydrated keep her you know and then gradually it would get she would over three weeks and then it would all start again and um the number of of ngs that she would vomit up which was just and it was so hard because she would she would vomit it up so you've got it hanging out the nose hanging out the mouth you've got to quickly whip it out before you know just horrendous and then the right let's get dressed because we've got to go to hospital then to have the bloody thing put put back back in in. because of course we we were doing meds through the end through the ng as well so you have to go and get it put back in but i remember them saying do you want because it would happen so regularly that it was um I remember them asking whether they wanted um whether I wanted to be trained and as annoying as it was to have to travel the you know 35 minutes into the hospital get the get it sorted and all that sort of stuff I absolutely did not want to have to do it myself and it wasn't it wasn't the doing it it was the separation between parent and nurse yeah Andrea Page um Birmingham City University has done some fabulous stuff around clinical holding because because it's a process that's got to happen but it needs to happen safely and they need to be still so how can you do it and it's just about um holding somebody in a holding a child in a way that's safe for everybody Mm. um and so she and I B and I worked out between us a way that I could hold her that she was happy with that that Every, like the medics were happy with that she was going to be still we had Ribena you know to to swallow while the tube went down and all that you know all of that mm. sort of stuff but just not wanting I, I 
wanted to be her mum. You want to remain their safe person as well. I actually feel from a very, very early age for my son that I was more confident in being a nurse than I was his mum. And that's probably my training. But actually, so when it came down to, I've got to put the NG in, I've got to change the mickey, I've got to do whatever. It's like, I can do, like, I know how to do this. This is like, I I feel actually more, um, more. I wonder if it's about what you said earlier about when you were saying about expressing milk to feel useful. Yeah. Yeah, And feeling like you had a role to play and something Mm. you could actually do. And so for you, the medical stuff is something you can actually do that's Mm. useful. that um that either either advice that someone gave that you wish you'd done sooner or was really helpful or those sort of sucker punches those feeding moments that were like oh that was hard good bad or ugly i think um from very i think it's from very early on i remember um someone saying to me look boiling carrots to death in your own kitchen if you can start getting good nutrition into your child in whatever whatever mechanical way you get it in like that's not the important yeah. bit the important bit is that it's getting in and if you can do that yeah. before their weight is dropping too low mm-hmm. I, I just um that's just a big regret of mine that I didn't um do it sooner get that and do it sooner yeah yeah my top tip is a backpack pump if your child backpack is one of those pump. who is who is mobile and running around the place and doesn't want to sit still um yeah backpack pump amazing why did they not tell us about that sooner and like i was the kind of person who was like right it's not going to stop us doing anything we're going to be out and about so <laughs> there the i was out and about <laughs> at, at the park. darting through crowds of people chasing him <laughs> with this, a flipping with this- yeah, I was that person. Ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. Um, so don't do that. There's a We were we were it? given a back. We were that given could a be like an, it's a knockout, couldn't it? It could be like an it's a oh. knockout game where you gaff Brex and you see how long can someone you know the way it's like, I don't know, egg and spoon race where you don't drop the spoon. It's like how quickly, how long does it take or how He's far can he go bowl. within 60 mils into this bowler thing? And you like chase the child around. Oh, and it was ridiculous. It can... was just utterly insane. Like what, <laughs> what on earth? When it comes to what could I have done sooner or differently, I wish I'd started blended diet a long time ago. Mm. We'd used artificial food for a very long time, and I wonder what difference that would have made. Is there anything else that either of you, um, whether looking back or current routines, uh, that you find helpful in the acceptance or the journey or the what other twee cliche way you want to describe (laughs) it Um, I think it's just letting go for me it's been about letting go of the expectations that I think it's probably easier for me because I don't have the experience of those I just had an ideal in my head of mm. this is what I want family meal times to look like Mm. um and also letting go of the expectation that (laughs) my child is going to eat a home-cooked organic 
shit that I make from scratch because that <laughs> didn't, you know, that isn't a thing. And and yeah, that that's the hardest thing for me has been that. And I think the the most helpful thing is just being able to let go of that and be like, actually, it's okay. And he's individual and he's unique and I'm parenting him the way he needs to be parented. Mm. And I'm parenting the other children the way they need to be parented. And that's different. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. I think mine would be looking back um, when she came off the NG, uh, she had some, she had quite a bit of play therapy and all sorts because she didn't want the NG to be taken away. She wanted to keep it forever and ever because she saw no point in food because it took a long time, even after they stopped, you know, with the chemo and stuff, she still didn't trust food. Um, and so we went through a period of um, NG's gone. So we're still trying to get her eating and and reintroducing food and all that sort of stuff and I look back and for a while um I think I didn't realize that she was then putting weight on and we went the other way <laughs> and it was to do so I hadn't understood you know kind of the impact of of everything that had happened on her metabolic rate so she needs a tiny tiny portion size and yet we're trying to feed her like a normal portion size and a bit more and have a Krispy Kreme donut you know like kind of come on keep going keep going and so I sort of lost the plot going the other way of it took me a long time to stop trying to get her to eat all the time because it was mm. it was a good so while in, so because it was ingrained because you had like learned that this was a good thing that you needed to do and you had to unlearn was, that again it was so yeah. important for so long mm. we couldn't get food in her for years you know like we couldn't mm. get her to eat enough for years so even when she started secondary school um so we're then four years on from from the whole thing she's a, she's like a bird Do you, you know like she was tiny and then we started the whole puberty hormone thing which was all done artificially because she doesn't make her own hormones so um so that was all done and the whole everybody knows what happens to your backside when you get estrogen everything changes the hormonal <laughs> balances change and then we ended up in a situation where she was piling weight on and I, and we didn't know what to do to go mm. the other way so that even so here's one for the if, it, if there's a professional out there listening to this uh we even started talking about um there was a drug because her, her her weight really did uh, go up at one point and they were talking about a drug that's used with um uh, people with type 2 diabetes to try to suppress appetite Mm-hmm. so they were talking about um like what's they call it off-label mm-hmm. prescription of this drug and they were taking it to a panel and they were going to do all of these things I remember sitting in this multidisciplinary meeting and I was just like hang on like I'm I'm probably feeding her too much or could it be that I'm feeding her too much <laughs> and they were like uh well yes and I, I, there was a wonderful wonderful uh, outreach nurse um and I won't say her name but she was fabulous with, with us all the way through and she was just like yeah yeah and I was like well why don't you bloody tell me why, is, <laughs> why are we taking a thing to panel why can't you just say yeah. actually like cut out the cut cut, cut stop cut out the donuts exactly stop <laughs> stop stop so Sarah, she's a bit of a fatty you need to calm down <laughs> it out. But, I was, but i'm the one in control of what's going on her plate her and mouth. what's going in her mouth yeah. so it was that sudden and honestly i will never forget it was like light bulb moment of bloody hell we're talking about a drug <laughs> yeah just 
just be up front with me and say, you know, because I'm obviously lost the plot. Just say to me, wind your neck in, stop with the feeding. So, yeah. Okay, so we can overfeed. <laughs> in summary, yes. we can overfeed, we can underfeed. We can do it via peg, via nasal gastric, via, via Mickey. We can uh, do it parentally through intravenous if so required. Um, and for uh, lots of families, um, you kind of get advice when your kids are little, like, oh, they'll eat if they're hungry. And no, they, won't. they won't if they're not. And then you get families like ours, and that just simply isn't true simply isn't true and we have to do all sorts of things to um understand sensory needs and to understand um sort of swallow and all you know and then just the the ravishing like you said uh sarah of we have chemotherapy and radiotherapy and other drugs and treatments that we do um for our children which is for the best but then has an impact on their feeding so wherever you are in this whole process um it's tricky and we really hope that you are able to take some of our experiences and think, well, I'm not going to do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Namely the bolus feed on the beach. I'm not going to run around with don't need to run around bolus feed. I don't need to overfeed my child. Nope. And <laughs> nope. I can choose to do blended diet, which is instead of using this artificial milk, I can just do the food yep. that my family's eating and I can stick it in a blender and I make it runny and then I can yep. push it into my son's or my daughter's tube. But whatever you're doing, wherever you are in the whole feeding and eating, we hope um, this has been at least not unhelpful. <laughs> So that is it, our episode on food. I realise there's lots more we could say about blended diet. We didn't really go into that very much, but maybe we could record another episode with an expert in series two, somebody who can actually give us some expert advice as well as sharing some of the stories that parents and families have when they try to transfer to blended diet. For parents like us, the most normal parts of living can be really complex, like feeding our children. And for all of you starting out on an alternative way of giving your loved ones the nutrition that they need, I just want to say we see you. It does require that you learn new skills, you get used to different jargon, and you juggle a whole load of emotions. It's tricky. It really is. And we are cheering you on. We'd love to hear from you and have you as part of our conversation on the Skies Rwanda podcast. You can tell us your story, the challenges you're facing or things that you find helpful. You can email the podcast on tswupodcast at gmail.com. That's tswupodcast at gmail.com. It'd also be really amazing if you could help us by sharing this podcast with your friends, family, practitioners on social media um, you know putting flyers on the news agents ads in the newspaper wherever then you can rate review and follow us it means that maybe there will be a series too because unsurprisingly it takes quite a lot of work and for now whether it's now for the week ahead we hope that you are fed well served well and able to put one foot on front of the other, whatever skies you're under.